This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, where my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everyone. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Paul Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio presented by Underdog Fantasy. We've got a great guest lined up for you this week, Mike Tolan. He's an award-winning director and producer. He produced hit TV series such as One Tree Hill, one of my favorites, and Smallville. You probably know him as the executive producer on The Last Dance, which is a documentary featuring Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls that won so many different awards and was really fantastic. He's made movies that include Radio, Coach Carter, and Summer Cat. He's the co-chairman of Mandalay Sports Media, and he's the co-founder of Slamball, which can be seen these days on ESPN. Great conversation about producing award-winning documentaries like The Last Dance, TV shows and movies, as well as why he wanted to bring Slam Ball back. That's coming up on our show this week. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing great. And, uh, you know, anytime you can have the producer of One Tree Hill and The Last Dance on a show, I mean, you got to take that opportunity, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I got into One Tree Hill uh, with my daughter. Great show. When I was in Wilmington, North Carolina earlier this year, I went to a lot of the spots where the show is filmed and I don't know, I just liked it. It it was one of those cool shows to watch and, you know, it's kind of uh, centered around basketball. Mm -hmm. So um, I like the shows that he's done and, and, you know, Last Dance, most people think it's it's kind of the uh, best documentary of the last decade at least as far as sports goes uh, you know there have been a lot of people doing documentaries since then many of whom we've had on the show but um, last dance is kind of the gold standard yeah so um, to get inside of Mike's mind this week is going to be interesting you and I both obviously produce content every week on the show we like content and you know, to talk to a master of producing content at the highest level, it's pretty cool. Well, yeah. And I mean, I've been watching Slam Ball. It is a kick. It feels like you're a bunch of 10-year-olds on trampoline slam dunking. I mean, it's like the dream basketball game for me. So I've been into it. It's fun to watch high energy and uh, I've been enjoying it. Yeah. The game's on ESPN and ESPN Plus. And, uh, you know, Mike will tell us why he uh, wanted to bring back Slam Ball because remember it existed in the early 2000s. Now it's back. And they're relaunching in Las Vegas on ESPN. So uh, that'll be a good conversation. All right, let's get to some headlines. And Griggs, if I'm a little bit tired, it's because I got up at midnight West Coast time to watch the U.S. Women's National Team play Portugal in Women's World Cup. And, you know, U.S. has won back-to-back World Cups. They've been dominant in women's soccer. You know, we heard all these things about this team and they were blending, you know, old veterans like Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino with, you know, new players like Sophia Smith 
and Trinity Rodman and Griggs. I've watched all three matches so far, and I am not a soccer expert, but they look like they're just running around out there. There's no rhyme or reason to what they're doing. Um, and, you know, spoiler alert, they are on to the round of 16, the knockout round. But if they play like they did the first three matches, they're going to be out quickly. And, you know, uh, Portugal was uh, a goalpost away from winning and sending the U.S. home before they got to the round of 16, which would have been one of the biggest upsets in Women's World Cup history. So I know people listen to this as the sports business show. Let me give you some numbers. First of all, Portugal versus the U.S., so the match that I'm referring to that was played at midnight, um, 43,000 fans in attendance. That's a record for a World Cup, a Women's World Cup match. So big attendance. They've been getting great numbers, exceeding expectations in New Zealand and Australia where it's being held. Um, and then, you know, U.S. matches are peaking at around eight and a half million viewers. So that's a big audience. That's a lot of people tuning in. I was thinking as I was setting my alarm to get up at midnight, I'm like, I wonder if eight million people are watching uh, at midnight on the Pacific coast and three in the morning on the East coast. Probably not. I would guess the numbers down a little bit, but, uh, you know, good numbers for Women's World Cup and especially the U.S. Women's National Team so far, you know, as far as attendance and, and TV ratings. Yeah, I think uh, Fox has done a good job. I mean, obviously, a challenge when you're a world away is time differences, like you just mentioned. So you've right. got games at, you know, one in the morning, two in the morning. I watched a couple over the weekend that were, you know, middle of the night. I just flipped it on. Oh, it's Sweden playing Japan. Oh, cool. So, I mean, right. it's kind of fun if you're up and you're not doing anything at midnight or two in the morning, but. I think that's a challenge for broadcast. So it's encouraging that they're getting, you know, 8 million views on some of these games. And uh, it is fun. I think uh, Fox does a great job. The, the coverage looks great. It sounds great. It's been fun to watch. Um, yeah, I think the U.S. team with that roster, they should be scoring goals. I mean, they're only getting one goal a game, no goals in the game. That's just uh, not, not a good look. And these big teams that are going to, that are, you know, top favorites, they're scoring five, six goals a game. So it's going to be, they're going to have to figure out how to put it in the net and put more than one or two goals in, I think, to, to keep going. So it'll be fun to, watch them in the round of 16, but now it gets serious. You know, knockout round, it's kind of, uh, you got to win or it's uh, see you later. Winner go home, as they say. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I'll use a, an analogy here. Uh, I watched the Golden State Warriors play basketball and the way the ball moves and the offense flows and the way guys get easy shots, that's the way to run an offense. And I know one is basketball and one is soccer, but when I watch the U.S. Women's National Team, it doesn't look like it's flowing. You know, maybe they need to run the AFC Richmond offense from Ted Lasso because <laughs> that seemed to turn their season around. Maybe they just take a page out of the Ted Lasso book and say, let's apply it to the U.S. Women's National Team. And, you know, uh, Lindsay Horan can play the role of Jamie Tard yeah. and, and let's get it going. But they need to do something because uh, it's flowing like mud right now. And you know, the ball's not moving and that you're right. They have a lot of talented players and, you know, especially up front with Alex Morgan and Sophia Smith and Trinity Rodman and Lindsey Horan and, uh, you know, some really good players, but they could not find even shots on goal, yeah. much less the net. So, um, you know, good thing their defense has been pretty decent so far. They might already be out of this thing. Well, and you mentioned Lindsay Horan in that second game with the Netherlands. What got them going is she got in a little tiff with her right. teammate, you know, in, in WSL. And then all of a sudden she goes crazy and gets that header goal and the game changes. So I think getting that fire, something needs to kind of get lit underneath these ladies and just like pump them up. So maybe it's, you know, a physical match in this next round that gets them going. But, uh, you know, we see that in the NBA too. Sometimes these star-studded teams, it's hard to mesh the stars together. You saw, you know, Phoenix took a while to click with Durant and Chris Paul. It takes a while to mesh when you've got so much talent going. So we'll see what they can do. All right, our next headline, the Major League Baseball trade deadline is today. We've already seen some trades, but the biggest one we've seen so far, Max Scherzer from the Mets to the Texas Rangers. And I mean, Griggs, what, the beginning of the season four months ago, uh, the Mets have the highest payroll in Major League Baseball history, 344 million dollars and they had Scherzer and Justin Verlander you know as the headliners on their pitching staff 
well, now the team isn't even going to make the playoffs. So they're unloading players like Scherzer and they're, you know, basically they paid for one uh, postseason start for Scherzer last year where he got shelled. So you're paying him $118 million. They're actually paying him to go play for the Texas Rangers, you know, not full salary, but a good chunk of his salary. Um, and it's just crazy to see. The other big story is who's not getting traded, and that's Shohei Otani. So we t- talked about, you know, here is the best player of this generation. He's a modern-day Babe Ruth. Uh, you know, since our last show, there was a doubleheader a few days ago in Detroit. First game of the doubleheader, Otani pitches a shutout. Second game of the doubleheader, Otani hits two home runs. Like, no one in baseball can do that in the course of one day. It is ridiculous what he's doing. So I think the Angels, who also made some trades to acquire players instead of trading players, they're like, look, we're, I think, three and a half games out of the wild card spot as we record this right now. They're going for it. And they were like, you know what? We could get pieces for Otani, but I don't think our fans would ever forgive us if we trade. It's like, I mean, I don't want to say it's Michael Jordan, but what he's doing is Jordan-esque. We've never seen anything like this. How do you justify to your fans, we just traded away the best player of this generation, but keep coming to the ballpark and watch the young players, and they'll be really good in five or six years, but guess what? They'll never be as good as Otani, who we traded. I don't know how you sell that to your fans. If he leaves a free agent in the offseason, yeah, you're going to get little to no compensation, but at least that was his choice. And you, you know, did the best to retain him. They've got to make the playoffs. Mike Trout is coming back. Uh, amazingly enough, Mike Trout has never been to the playoffs. Uh, kind of a consensus, one of the best players in baseball. You've got two of them on this team, Otani and Trout. So I hope the Angels make the playoffs. I want to see those two guys in meaningful games in the playoffs. I'm glad they're not trading Otani. Um, as we record this, I would guess that Justin Verlander is also going to be traded. So the Mets are going to get rid of their two most expensive players, their two best pitchers, and they're going to you know, kind of recalibrate for next year without all this money on their payroll. But $344 million, it just shows you, Griggs, we say it all the time on this show, just because you spend money on your payroll doesn't mean you're going to win a championship. Remember before last season, everyone's like, it's going to be the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets in the final. I mean, far from, right? Like you, you can look good on paper, but you still have to play the game. And, you know, that's kind of what the Mets have been this year. The Yankees are stinking it up too and had a terrible July. So um, just because you spend a lot of money doesn't mean that you're going to win games. Yeah, I mean, uh, beginning of this season, who would have thought the Mets and the Yankees would be bottom of the barrel? I mean, the, some of the top two payrolls in, in baseball, and they're both stinking it up and, in New York. But then, uh, and then you got the Dodgers, who are doing the right thing, top of the top of their division, and they're winning games, and they've got a pretty hefty, you know, roster and payroll there too. But uh, yeah, I think I'm with your take on Otani. I mean, you, you would devastate the Angels fan base if you got rid of him. You've got to keep him, make him make the choice, like you said, be a free agent and uh, shop the market. But uh, he is must-watch TV, man. The, uh, he's just incredible. That doubleheader day was just unbelievable. I mean, in the way he hits the ball, he just rushes that ball. It's like Roy Hobb. Oh, man. From the natural. Yeah. I, when I'm watching him, I'm like, this is Roy Hobb. Yeah. Yeah. This guy is unbelievable. Like, he he, he just doesn't even seem real. No. It's crazy. And pitch like that and, and hit like that at this level. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of little leaguers can do sure. it. At the Major League Baseball level, this is incredible. Like, I got to say, I think a lot of things get embellished and over-exaggerated. And, you know, so-and-so's the GOAT. So-and-so's doing this. And it's amazing. Like, we we add a lot of uh, sensationalism to a lot of things. This is one thing that I don't think we're adding enough yeah. sensationalism to. This is incredible. We may never see this again in our lifetime, what Otani is doing so appreciate it marvel at it and you know as we've said many times and if you want to go back and and listen to my interview with chris uh chorus from rep one baseball the the baseball agent from earlier in the year otani is going to make 
six, seven hundred million dollars yeah. in his next contract. Whoever signs him is going to have to pay him as a superstar pitcher and a superstar hitter. Yeah. There's never been a player that has gone to the market that can say, oh, yeah, let me show you my pitching reel and let me show you my hitting reel. And they're both at the top of Major League Baseball. It's not like he's an average pitcher and they just need someone to eat up innings and they throw him out there and, you know, he's a great hitter or vice versa. This dude is an all-star as a pitcher and a hitter. And again, the market's never seen that before. He is the most popular player in baseball. The other players marvel at him and are like, I can't even believe what this guy can do on a baseball field. It's, it's ridiculous. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Hi, Brian Berger here from Sports Business Radio. Underdog Fantasy is the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio and the fastest growing fantasy app. Underdog is a variety of daily and season-long fantasy games that you can play. Best Ball Mania has $15 million in pool prize money, and first place wins $3 million. You can play as many entries as you want, and once you draft your team, you sit back and enjoy. No lineup change is needed, and Underdog pulls your best performers and gives you those points. You never have to worry about leaving the wrong player on the bench again. Griggs and I will have our teams drafted for the upcoming NFL season, and this is a great way to enjoy all the upside of fantasy football without having to worry about maintaining your lineup each week. For daily fantasy, I love playing Pick'em and Rivals. With Pick'em, if I get five picks right, I can win 20 times my money. It's a fun way to do over-unders on player stats as well as pit players against each other. We've got a special offer for sports business radio listeners. New users get up to $100 matched on their first deposit when they use the code SBR, like sports business radio. SBR is the code to use. So download the app at underdogfantasy.com or in your app store and then enter the promo code SBR to get up to $100 to play with. Also, Make sure to listen to my conversation on Sports Business Radio with Underdog Fantasy founder and co-CEO Jeremy Levine. He shares the unique story of how he founded Underdog Fantasy, and he has great insight into the future of daily fantasy and sports betting. Thanks to Underdog Fantasy for being the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. The next headline, this is interesting too. So, Colorado is headed to the Big 12. They're leaving the Pac-12. You know, here's yet another footprint that the Pac-12 is losing. So they already lost LA because they lost UCLA and USC. Now they're losing the Denver, Boulder, Colorado footprint. So if you're trying to make a media deal, which supposedly the Pac-12 is going to announce their media deal, Sometime this week, they've been holding this in their pocket. It's going to be a big reveal. Uh, They use words like we're trading up from Colorado to another team that's going to replace them. I mean, this is like when you go to dinner and you order, you know, this expensive dinner and they bring you the plate and they pull back the cover and it's a pea. (laughs) And you're just like, wait, I thought I was getting steak and lobster. (laughs) There's a pea, like one singular pea. That's my dinner. Yeah. That's what the Pac-12 is. They are so much talk. We're giving you the steak, the lobster. We got some asparagus on the side, some hollandaise. Like, this is going to be the best dinner you've ever had. And we've been holding this back. We've been waiting to announce it. Oh, it's a peak. Like, that's, that's what this is. Yeah. So, you know, I can't imagine that one of the big streaming services maybe Apple, like if it's such a favorable deal for them, maybe, but ESPN and Fox, I I don't think they're going to take that on. Um, And, and again, you're coming to the table and you're like losing assets. You're, we, Hey, guess what? We want a deal. Oh, but sorry. We just lost USC and UCLA. Hey, uh, can we make a deal? But we just lost Colorado. Like your deal's getting worse and worse. You're losing your leverage. So, um, you know, Deion Sanders in Colorado going to the Big 12, good for them. That's where they came from before they were in the Pac-12. They've got a long history there. Big 12 by far 
a better conference than the Pac-12 right now. And oh, by the way, they have a media deal and they've announced it and it's actually pretty decent. Pac-12, again, I'm waiting for the deal to be announced. And it's like, as I tweeted out, it's ESPN, Dojo. You know, it's like, it can be seen by at least 20 people. And and they have balked this conference. I mean, we're West Coasters, so we've watched Larry Scott. Yeah. We're watching New Commissioner. Like, they have balked this for the last 10 years at least. So to see where it's winding up is not a surprise. And then, you know, when they pull back the cover and you see that you have a P to eat, like, does Oregon leave? Does Arizona leave? Uh, does Washington leave? Like, is it just a mass exodus from the conference? That's what's going to be interesting to see. But it's not a very relevant conference anymore. And, you know, let's see what the the media deal looks like when they announce it. Yeah, I mean, from the beginning, the Pac-12 network has been a disaster. It's awful. You can't see it anywhere. It doesn't have any content. So that, you know, like you said, 10 years, right. it's been bad from the beginning. And now, yep. and now they're trying to, you know, oh, look what we've got. Like you mentioned. You've lost the LA market, the biggest market, you know, New York and LA are probably the two biggest and, uh, that one's gone now and Colorado, you know, with, they've been, they've been a buzz with, you know, Dion being the coach. Now they've got some, some leverage. They've got getting some players, they're getting some, you know, and now, oh, they're gone. And I think if an Oregon or Washington jumps, you know, you're going to lose the next two biggest marketing, big schools with big deals. Uh, I just don't, it's just a, it's a disaster. I don't know what they're going to do. So I'm interested to see what they have been working on for so many years to make this big deal. But I'm not looking forward to it being uh, that crazy, that's for sure. Well, and the awkward, I mean, awkward this last year, Colorado, USC, and UCLA is still part of the Pac-12. So anytime there's like meetings, yeah. the presidents or the ADs, those three schools have to step out of the room now. Right. I mean, it's basically like, uh, you know, you're getting divorced, but to save money, you've got to live with your soon-to-be ex-spouse under <laughs> the same roof. Yeah. That's what this is with the Pac-12. Yeah. <laughs> With USC, UCLA, and Colorado. They're getting divorced, but to save money, they all have to live under the same roof. But when finances are talked about, uh, you know, how much are we paying for cable this month? How much are we paying for the water bill? You know, where are we sending the kids to school? Oh, uh, Colorado, UCLA, and uh, USC, we need you to leave the room. See ya. While we have those conversations, then we'll invite you back in. That's what this is. Yeah. To put it in in simple terms. So it's going to be an awkward next season for the Pac-12 because those three teams are lame duck teams. And, you know, they're going to be going to their new homes following this upcoming season. All right, some NBA news. Jalen Brown signs the richest contract in NBA history. I mean, think about that. I love Jalen Brown. Smart guy. I love what he wants to do outside of basketball. I've met him in person at the... Uh, tech summit in San Francisco that, you know, Andre Iguodala runs. And yeah, I just think he's great. But if you asked any basketball fan, who's got the richest contract in the history of the NBA? Most people go, oh, it's Mike Jordan or it's LeBron or it's Steph Curry or it's Jokic or it's Kevin Durant. Like very few people would go, oh yeah, it's Jalen Brown who might not even be the best player on his team, probably Jason Tatum. So they had to resign him. You can't lose him for nothing. Now you're paying Tatum and Brown, like just funny money, kind of like we talked about with uh, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. You've got a ton of money going to two players and you've got to win a championship within this window. And in the last year of Jalen Brown's contract, are you sitting down for the Spriggs? One year? $69 million for the last year. Mm. I mean, remember, I think Jordan in his career on court, $51 million. I, I think that's what it was on court. So, you know, you just see how the money has changed. And, you know, hold my beer. Jalen Brown's going to be the richest player in NBA history for about five minutes because... Giannis is coming. Luka Doncic is coming. Jokic can redo his contract. Uh, Jimmy Butler has already said, I want more than Jalen Brown got. So the record's not going to last very long. But 
Uh, it's going to be interesting. So, you know, bottom line, Celtics are all in on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And, you know, we're going to see if this works in the next couple of years where they get at least one ring out of this. I mean, if you're paying that much money, you got to get at least one ring out of this, if not two. Yeah, and I think it's got to happen in the next one to three years. I mean, because yeah, everybody's getting yeah. older and the teams are changing. You know, NBA changes so much too. It's like you may have two players for six months and then something else happens. This guy goes here, whatever. But uh, yeah, it's crazy money. It was funny when that deal went down just watching Twitter because even Boston fans are like, what? Jalen Brown, the guy that can't dribble left, we just paid him this much money? I mean, they're even kind of like, why are we doing this? It doesn't quite make sense. Uh, but we'll see. I think it's got to be, they got to come out hot this next season because uh, if they don't, they're going to get ripped apart. And you know, Boston, that market can be tough. You know, fans are tough there. Media is tough there. They're going to hear about it if they suck. Well, the key to that team isn't Brown and it's not Tatum. It's Porzingis. If he comes in and has a year like he had last year, okay, they can they can get to the finals again. If he doesn't, everyone's going to go, why did we trade Marcus Smart, the heart and soul of this team? He was the engine that made everything go. He was behind the scenes guy in the locker room that got everyone motivated. Why did we trade Marcus Smart? So those whispers will come in early. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Brown now with this big deal and on uh, Casey Tatum. So that was a story uh, that we wanted to discuss. And then another NBA story. And, you know, we talked about this before. So ESPN already let Jeff Van Gundy go. Well, yesterday, I'll give him credit, Peter Vesey, the old school NBA reporter, came out and said Mark Jackson was also let go. And then Mark Jackson put out a statement saying, yeah, I was informed this morning that I was let go. So now it's Mike Breen and reportedly his analysts are going to be Doris Burke, who does a great job, and Doc Rivers. Hmm. So, you know, I had suggested a Mike Breen, Doc Rivers, J.J. Redick trio, but Doris is great. And, you know, I think that'll be a good threesome. And actually, I kind of like the fact that we're going to get some fresh perspective. Uh, There had been a lot of games called between Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, and Mike Breen. And, you know, Doc was just the coach of the Sixers. How'd you like to be Doc? Doc is, I mean, you could pay him a dollar. He's making $16 million over the next two years from the Sixers for getting fired. So anything he gets from ESPN is like, oh, that's gravy on the right on the potatoes here. Like 16 mil, I, I'm set. And to my knowledge, I haven't seen his contract, but it doesn't get offset because he's not taking another coaching job. So I don't think there's language that says, oh, if you get a TV job and they pay you a million dollars, then we only owe you $15 million. I think it has to be another coaching job. So he's got a double dip it. Yeah. He's getting 16 mil from the Sixers. And then whatever he gets from ESPN, again, is like, hey, that's that's golf money. That's vacation money. That's just hanging out money. Uh, not that you can't live off of $16 million. I think I... <laughs> I could live off a of 16 mil. What about you? Yeah, I think that works just fine for me. And I, I love Doc. I think he's going to be a great analyst. I think, uh, you know, talk about relaxing for him, you know, coaching, crazy stress, being an analyst on an ESPN and NBA games, it's going to be fun for him. I think he's going to have a lot of good stuff to say. Obviously, you know, Mike and Doris are, you know, legends in their broadcast world. Yeah. So I think that's going to be really fun to listen to those, that team work because uh, I've always loved Doc. I just love his attitude is, you know, his raspy voice will be fun to hear him yelling at players he knows and stuff. Yeah. It'll be fun. He'll be good. People forget he called the 2004 NBA Finals with Al Michaels on ABC. So, um, you know, he's done this before. He's worked in the media. It's not like he's one of those coaches that you have to teach how to be a broadcaster. He knows what to look for. And the part that I like the most is he's a recent coach. You know, say what you want about Mark Jackson and Jeff A. Gundy. I think they were good. I'm not going to say anything bad about them. But they weren't coaches recently. They've been doing this for a long time. So now you're getting a perspective, you know, kind of like JJ, who was recently retired. You know, anytime you can say, oh, yeah, I coached against that guy last year. And this is the game plan we devised for Luka Doncic or Jokic or Dame Lillard or whoever. Like, I think that adds a unique insight because there's only 30 of those jobs and he had one of them. So um, it's looking like Mike Breen, Doris Burke, Doc Rivers on the NBA games for next year. The other thing, and this is like a total, uh, you know, inside 
I guess, basketball type of thing is the league office really likes Doris and they really like Doc. Not that they didn't like Van Gundy or Mark Jackson, but they do really like Doris and they like Doc. So, and of course they like Mike Breen. So now you've got this trio here that the league really likes and they've kind of got that, that stamp of approval. And as you've got the new media deals coming up and there's a lot of whispers that NBC may get involved and, you know, try and steal the NBA games from ABC ESPN. I don't think it hurts ESPN ABC to say, look, this is our new trio calling games. Like, you guys like them. There's something to consistency. Like, I think, I don't think this is being done solely for that purpose, but I think it's being done with, we want to continue our relationship with the NBA and hope that this helps us renew our deal with them for the future. Well, I think the players love Doris. She, she gets great interviews. She knows all of them. Uh, same with Doc. He, he's going to know the current players, the, the current coaches. That helps too, because you can go over and talk to them easier. You, you know these players, you know how they work, you know how they do their thing. So I think that is a play too. But uh, yeah, NBA on NBC, could it be coming back sometime in the future? That was when I grew up in the era of being a kid. That was, uh, I love the John Tesh theme and the NBA on NBC yeah. Saturday games. That was one of my funnest uh, memories. With the open and, and like Shaq was sliding across the floor <laughs> right. and like saving it behind. Right, him. right. Yeah, they had a great, I love their open. Yeah. I mean, I can hear it in my head. Right Same now. here. Yep. Um, so yeah, very clever jingle. John Tesh should do all the jingles. He should. Let's make this a rule in sports going forward. John Tesh does all the jingles for sports and Ted Lasso diagrams all the plays <laughs> for soccer, for anything. I don't care if it's English Premier League, World Cup, uh, messy, perfect MLS, like Ted Lasso diagrams all the plays. I'm in. And you have it flow and you run basically the Jamie Tart. <laughs> perfect. It'd be fun. Okay. Let's do it. Those are the two rules that we're implementing here on Sports Business Radio. Nice. All right. Most people know that uh, Morgan Stanley, Global Sports Entertainment, is the official financial partner of Sports Business Radio. We love working with them. Well, they've got some pretty cool announcements to get out there that they, uh, deals they've made recently. So, uh, USA baseball announced a renewal with Morgan Stanley global sports and entertainment is a financial education and developmental partner of the organization, focusing on the national team development program. So for the second consecutive year, Morgan Stanley GSE will create a custom financial literacy program for the 17-under and 16-under USA Baseball athletes and lead an in-person seminar for the program during the annual event later this week. Additionally, Morgan Stanley GSE and USA Baseball will collaborate to promote other financial education-related content for USA Baseball's athletes, coaches, and staff throughout the year. So that's one exciting partnership. The other is Women Leaders in College Sports and Women Leaders is excited to announce Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment as its exclusive financial education sponsor. This continued alliance will specifically focus on financial literacy education and planning resources for women leaders working in sports at all levels. It will also include thought leadership content, dedicated tools and resources, in-person programming, and access to financial advisors within Morgan Stanley's global sports and entertainment business. Greg, this is why I love working with Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, because they empower athletes and they teach them financial literacy at a young age. I love hearing that, you know, 16 and 17-year-old USA baseball players are learning financial literacy. And you know, Morgan Stanley's really setting these athletes up to succeed. And I just love that. Um, you know, for many years here on Sports Business Radio, we have really smart, empowered athletes who are talking about all that they're doing off of the field of play. And, you know, they're not just smiling for the camera and saying, I wear Nikes or, you know, eat a McDonald's hamburger. They own the restaurants now. They have their own portfolio. Like these are really sharp people. You look at someone like Magic Johnson. He just became a minority owner of the NFL's Washington Commanders. Like 
he's someone who's kind of set the gold standard for a lot of athletes. Obviously, Michael Jordan, what he's done with the Jordan brand. And you know, he recently sold his uh, ownership stake in the Charlotte Hornets. But there's so many bright athletes out there. And I love the fact that Morgan Stanley with NIL going on and athletes being taxed and, you know, knowing, needing to read contracts and know how their name, image, and likeness is being used. They're setting the athletes up for success. So uh, great job by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. And we look forward to our continued partnership with them. Yeah, they've been awesome. And I agree. I think financial literacy is so much the important part because, you know, these kids get signed at 18 years old and instantly they're millionaires coming from whatever they've came from. And it's just like, if you don't know about how to manage that in taxes and everything else, it can be a disaster because your career is not going to be 40 years. Like a lot of people work in the same industry. You know, you're, you're in the league for five, maybe 10 years. And then all of a sudden you're not. And if you don't manage it right, you can be uh, in, a, in a bad spot. So Morgan Stanley, props to you for all the work you do with uh, young athletes in the world. All right, coming up next, Mike Tolan, award-winning director and producer. He produced uh, The Last Dance featuring Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. One of my favorite TV shows, One Tree Hill. He's done Smallville. He's done movies like Summer Catch and Radio and Coach Carter. And he's the co-founder of Slam Bowl. So we're going to talk about that as well. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., They provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end, offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for sports business radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Mike Tolan, award-winning director and producer, produced TV hits such as One Tree Hill and Smallville. He was the executive producer on The Last Dance featuring Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls. He's made movies that include Radio, Coach Carter, and Summer Catch. He's the co-chairman of Mandalay Sports Media. He's the co-founder of Slam Ball. Mike, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Great to be here. Thanks for for your time. All right. I know we're going to talk a lot about Slam Ball, but I really want to hear about your career as a producer and filmmaker. Let's start with how did you get into film and TV? Well, I don't know that I was really the film buff kid. I was really more the sports kid who would, you know, play wall ball in the backyard. And uh, I'm old enough to even precede Harry Callis. Okay. By by saying the name Harry Callis, I'm revealing (laughs) my Philly roots. Yeah. Anybody who knows me and I wear that Philly thing on my sleeve, even though I don't have a sleeve right now, short sleeve. Um, I've lived in Los Angeles for half my life, but I've never, the connections to the Philly sports teams have never diminished. So back to wall ball in the backyard, it was by some and Bill Campbell and Richie Ashburn. That's really dating myself. This is going back to the years when, uh, well, um, you know, the, the psychic scar, the guys from, from that town that are my generation was the 64 Phillies who had a six and a half game lead with 12 to play. 
and proceeded to lose 10 in a row and finished a game behind the Cardinals. And Ouch. my dad brought World, World Series tickets home and then they were gone. But I bonded with the rookie of the year that year. Do you know who it is? Testing your baseball. I trivia. do not. I, I do not know. Okay. Uh, Richie Allen. Okay. Later known as Dick Allen. Yep. And, uh, and here we are almost a half a century later. And uh, when the strike is over, we will hopefully deliver a second draft of a script called Letters in the Dirt, written by Madison Turner, which is a feature film based on the life and times of Dick Allen. So uh, I became good friends with Dick, and his story is amazing. And when he died during COVID, uh, the studio actually called me and said, you're the Philly guy, right? I said, well, I've been called worse. <laughs> and so... Uh, so off we went. So yeah, and that sort of doves, dovetails into getting into the business. I had a best friend whose dad was my father's best friend. He was running a syndicated TV show um, called Greatest Sports Legends. And when I got out of Stanford in the late 70s, I went right into it. Um, uh, Tom Seaver was the host. And, uh, you know, we did these half hour documentaries at a time when there was no ESPN yet. There was a real scarcity of highlights. So we would, you know, Hank, Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and Ted Williams. And we got Will Chamberlain. Uh, it's, it's interesting, uh, because as you probably know, a Showtime and Paramount Plus have just put up a three part series called Goliath on Will Chamberlain, in which they've, uh, adopt, adapted, um, AI and AI version of Wilt's voice. And, um, you know, I got to know Wilt pretty well and did a couple of shows with him and actually did a pretty good job. I have to say the voice sounds pretty authentic. Um, anyway, so that was my first job. Um, and then I went to, uh, New York, uh, to work for major league baseball and created the baseball bunch. And, uh, Johnny bench was hosting a series of shows with more sports heroes. And then finally, um, it led me to Halcyon Days Productions, which I did with my dear college buddy, still one of my best pals a lot of years later. And um, we ran the official production company for the fledgling United States Football League. And when I say USFL, obviously there's a, a modern day iteration. But back then it was um, the New Jersey Generals owned by a real estate developer who will remain nameless for the time being. No, no, no political content in this discussion, right? I think no. we all know who it is, but yes, uh, we can, we cannot name him. We do remember Herschel Walker played for that team though. Wow. Herschel was really something, but you know, for those of us who had to watch the highlight films, the game films do TV shows every week for the three year duration of the league. There were some running backs like Kelvin Bryant on the Philly stars who were even more impressive, but, the league was great. I mean, you know, we can speculate wildly about whether the league would have been able to survive had not somebody swooped in and banked the future of the league on a lawsuit, an antitrust lawsuit against the NFL, which resulted famously in a, in a $3 settlement. Because um, there was a strike coming up with the NFL and, you know, the USFL players could have filled the void and um, this this little fledgling cable sports network, ESPN, um, we could have been kind of their signature sport. That would have been the flagship for us. You know, it's all, it's all 2020 hindsight. Um, but ultimately, um, I moved to LA, uh, got married, moved to LA, met a guy named Brian Robbins, formed a production company in the early nineties called to cleverly called Tolan Robbins Productions. <laughs> and, um, and off we went, that was, that was me sort of transitioning into scripted programming and, slowly getting into the movie biz and, and, and episodic television. You mentioned a lot of the, the projects we'd done. Um, but, you know, in my heart, I was always kind of a documentary guy and, and the market has swung back dramatically to where, you know, documentaries are wildly popular these days. Yeah, that's an understatement. So as someone who has made many documentaries, including what I think is the gold standard, The Last Dance, what is the recipe for a compelling documentary, in your opinion? Well, you need a compelling subject, whether it's a person or a team or an event. Um, with The Last Dance, we had all of the above, right? We had 
Michael Jordan, the GOAT. We had a true dynasty that won six championships, and we had an era uh, that people remember with, um, you know, with with real joy. There's something uh, nostalgic about the '90s, um, the music, the fashion, um, you know, the teams that came and went. That that first MJ and the Bulls weren't able to overcome, and then ultimately were, you know, able to beat the bad boys and beat Charles Barkley and beat Clyde Drexler and beat Malone and Stockton. And, you know, when you think about the cast of characters, Phil Jackson as the coach and Jordan Pippen, and then adding Rodman, you know, who was their arch enemy. Um, what a stroke of genius. Um, so um, that was really, you know, sort of lightning striking. And then of course the pandemic happens and there's no live sports. And we sort of had the airwaves all to ourselves for sports fans, Jason Hare, extremely talented director, did an amazing job at keeping the ship afloat before, during, and after the pandemic. Um, it just really, you know, it was a, it was a blessing to be able to, to, to put that thing together and, and watch it get the response that it did. Um, but, you know, there have been some others that are way less, um, you know, high profile. Um, taking eight Special Olympics kids, and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in the middle of a monsoon, a film called Let Me Be Brave, one of my first documentaries that um, won my first sports Emmy, which I'm very, very proud of just because of all that, um, all that it did for those kids. Um, Chasing the Dream with Hank Aaron. Um, this was a, a real treat for me to get to be in Henry Aaron's life and, and to see what he was all about. He, he was very clear that he wanted this film to be about a lot more than home runs and RBIs. And it ultimately became about civil rights and social progress. And so very proud of having a film spearhead the birth of a foundation, which has now raised tens of millions of dollars to help uh, underserved kids chase their own dreams. And the exhibit, the Chasing the Dream exhibit, it sits in Cooperstown. And, um, you know, we lost Henry, um, during COVID as well. And um, that's actually led to another scripted pride stick that's um, on hold right now. But we're hoping that in calendar year 2024, which will be the 50th anniversary of Henry breaking Babe Ruth's home run record, that we'll be able to come out with a feature film showing how, how tough that time was, you know, what should have been like the victory tour that we see modern day athletes celebrate. Um, instead, he was a hunted man. He had a 24 hour a day armed guard provided by the Atlanta police department. And he was getting death threats and hate mail by the thousands. And, um, it was a very, very trying time. And I think it's kind of been forgotten in the, in the spectrum of the integration of baseball from 1947 and Jackie Robinson to the, um, the growth of the African-American baseball player where, where, where they really dominated the game to the opposite um, uh, trend now where there's only an average of, you know, one or two African-American players per team. It's interesting to put um, this event and this era in context uh, half a century later. Remarkable. I want to go back to Last Dance for a minute. How did you get Michael Jordan to say yes? And then how do you get him to open up? Because he's a pretty close to the best person and he doesn't usually participate in documentaries like this. Well, how, how we got him to say yes, only Michael knows for sure. Um, you know, I just say right time, right place. I mean, the last dance footage was shot during the 97, 98 season. Um, this, the last of the six championships, um, many, many times for many, many years, many, many different people came knocking on that door in my head. I just think he was at an age where he was reflective. Um, he had a new wife. He had small children, kind of a new family. You would never get to see him play. My appeal was I wrote a little lookbook and didn't know if I was actually going to get to sit with him in person. So I was prepared to just have it sent to him by his partners, Curtis Polk and Esty Portnoy. And, um, Finally, I did get summoned and got to go to Charlotte and sit with him in his office and make the pitch in person. And 
basically just said, every day, a handful of young producers and aspiring filmmakers come into my office wearing your shoes who've never seen you play. It's time. And, you know, I think it's kind of a legacy thing for Michael. And um, he uh, he was ready. Uh, Jason Hare gets a lot of the credit as the director for getting him to open up. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, a sound bite in the series where um, Jason asks Michael about the traveling cocaine circus in his rookie year with the Bulls, 1984. And we're all sitting there. Oh boy, this is going to be a litmus test because Michael could look at him and stare at him and say, what are you talking about? Or he could walk out of the room and say, we're done here. But in fact, if you, if you review the tape, he cracked up and he slaps his knee and starts howling with laughter. He said he'd never heard that term before. And then he proceeds to talk about the debauchery, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think he was ready and he was an absolute pleasure. And there's, you know, nothing off limits. Um, he let us tell the story as we chose. You know, we interviewed more than 100 different people. And um, somehow, magically, it came together. Before we get to Slam Ball, I got to mention one more project that you worked on. I was just in Wilmington, North Carolina. I did go to the high school of Michael Jordan, Laney High School. Well, wow. One of my favorite shows that I've ever watched with my teen daughter is One Tree Hill. Wow. I love that show. And I went to many of the places in Wilmington where the show was shot, including Trick. And, you know, they did so many different themes there. And I was just, it was a trip down memory lane, but... How do you come up with the idea for that show? Because I really liked it. It's two brothers playing basketball, but it's so much more than that. It was a brilliant show. I'm glad you said you're you have a teenage daughter and you watched it with her. Otherwise, I would wonder. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, and how old is that teenage daughter now? 18. Oh, so she's watching it now on some platform, the reruns, many yeah. years later. Yeah, HBO. Got, is it on HBO? It's on HBO. HBO. Yep. How about that? Little do I know. I do know that, again, pending the settlement of the strike, there was a movement afoot to do a new, a, 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 a rebirth of One Tree Hill. Wow. Let her know that uh, she should root for the strike to end, and hopefully um, she'll see a 20, 21st century version. Um, Holy cow. The um, the creator of the show was Mark Swan. When you say, how'd you come up with the idea? It was Mark's idea, kind of loosely based on Mark's life. Um, which was in the Midwest, someplace in Illinois. Um, we reset it to North Carolina. At the time, Dawson's Creek was a big hit show on the WB. We had an overall deal with Warner Brothers Television. So we were kind of feeding. It was what I like about you, Smallville and One Tree Hill were the three big shows that we had going on at the same time. And um, they they kind of set us up to fill the slot um, as James Vanderbeek moved off and Dawson's Creek Actually, we took James Vanderbeek uh, and had him star in Varsity Blues for us at about the same time. Um, but so we asked Mark to reset it. He actually wrote it as a feature film. We submitted it to Paramount because we all had a relationship with Paramount at the time. Did not sell it. They passed on it. And I remember saying to Mark, so if you like these characters well enough to have wanted to spend two hours with them, how about if we try to spend 100 hours with them? And he's like, what does that mean? And I said, well, let's rewrite it as a one-hour series. And if we get lucky, who knows? In fact, we spent 187 hours with them. We did nine years of you know, roughly 20 shows a year. And um, it's, it's a great segue to Slam Ball because I don't know where you are in watching with your daughter, but there was a season where James Lafferty was playing Nate Scott. Yeah, I remember yeah. it. All right, so he gets hurt in a bar fight. And the storyline for the next season, it is Nate's going to recover in what was called the, the D League back, back then, the Development League, yeah. right? Now it's called the G League because of the sponsorship. But back then it was Development League. And Nate is watching Slam Ball on Spike TV at the time. So we're talking early aughts. Um, and he calls me up and he says, Mike, I know I'm supposed to come back to the D League, but like, I'd much rather come back through Slam Ball. Can we bring a court down to North Carolina and just create a, a slam ball universe and have me play for one of the teams, the mob, the realm of the slashers, whatever. And that's the way I'll recuperate and, you know, rehabilitate and get myself back into the NBA. 
So it kind of became a win-win where we'd have this much more fun and colorful, high-flying, extravagant sport at the same time promoting the the, the growth of of slam ball, and so um, it went really well. And um, an actor named Joe Mangianello was part of the team and fell in love with the sport. And he has recently called and said he wants to be a part of the new iteration of slam ball. So again, pending the strike, I feel like I'm a broken record, but there are a lot of things that are just on hold. Joe's a, a member of the Screen Actors Guild. Um, so I don't know that he's going to be able to be a part of it now, but he loves it. And it was so great to hear his enthusiasm and affection for the sport. And, you know, that's what we're counting on is like the combination of people discovering it at a time when live sports really is sort of king of the airwaves, um, mixed with the nostalgia of people who remember the first go around and are excited to see how it looks in 2023. Yeah. James Lafferty the actor who played Nathan Scott. Yeah, he's the one. And I'll tell you, like, I've seen your logo and it even kind of looks like him, uh, you know, doing, I know it's not, but it's I was in Las Vegas last week. I went to a slam ball practice. I saw, you did? I did. I saw with my own two eyes. Great. And so I am Mason Gordon. I did. I saw Mason. Uh, I saw the rest of the team. I met a lot of the players. I'm telling our audience, this is going to be, uh, can't miss TV. I mean, it is such a visual spectacle. And one of my favorite things in slam ball is the face-off. So instead of a free throw, you've got the face-off. You've got a guy rushing to the basket. You've got a defender racing from the baseline. And it's so much more exciting than a free throw. And there's so many other things that slam ball does. But I think this is going to be, must-see TV on ESPN. Well, I think we're going to quote you on that, sir. You're doing my job for me. Uh, I'm so glad you got there. I was in and out. Um, I went for the summer league and took inside. actually saw Wemby's second game, which turns out to be his last game. And then I was there at practices for several days. And then we had to um, pull up the court and move it to Cox Arena, um, you know, to get ready for the premiere on Friday night. But um, it is so gratifying to see the joy, the enthusiasm. I mean, it's really infectious. Um, the original guys, you probably saw some of them. Half a dozen of them are back coaching teams now. Wow. Coach, Car- Coach, Car- Coach Carter is back, having won the title with the Rumble <laughs> back in the days. He, and he's an early season favorite. You know, when people say to me, well, what's going to be different about the sport this time from the last time? Uh, I can now say from having been at practice many days and seeing these guys, the athletes are bigger, better, stronger. It's just a kind of a, a next level of gameplay. Um, but the big difference is it's live. It's a real sport. It was, right. it was the original vision. But, you know, back then, um, the fact that we were able to have a network commit to two seasons and, you know, 20 some hours of programs. It was such a great opportunity. Albie Hecht, who was the, uh, who was writing Spike, um, was our partner and he saw it and it did really well for Spike. So it was packaged, you know, we were able to, to, to take the games and compress and add features and, um, you know, make it all work in it, you know, an hour block. And now it's just like, it's live. Maybe you can bet on it. There's going to be massive, data, all the analytics that go with a modern day sport. So like you're gonna you're gonna not only see highlights on a daily, nightly basis, but you'll see all the geekery, all the all the stats, some of which will be unique to Slam Ball. Um there'll be there'll be points, but there'll also be instead of rebounds, there'll be LBRs, loose balls retrieved. And we have a whole new glossary we're gonna introduce. We're also introducing five new teams. There's eight teams all together. Three of them are um Old school or OGs, the, the originals, the Slashers, the Mob, and the Rumble, and there's five new teams. I think we're rolling them out slowly but surely as we get to the opening. You'll see the uniforms and all. Um, I shared them with my son, and he promised me he wasn't going to post them on, on social. So we'll keep that under wraps for now. But they're really, I think, I think the swag is going to be great. We have Michael Rubin is among our investors who runs Fanatics, and so. Um, you know, the whole idea is to is to create stars, to create allegiance um, with teams, you know, fan the true fan engagement, right? So that's why we're doing a whole tournament. 
there will be winners and losers. And August 17th is slated to be the finals. So we go J- July 21 to August 17th. Um, we have 17 nights and roughly 60 hours of programming. And I have to say one of the most gratifying things, again, um, the media is everything because that's how you reach the broad audience. And we had about a half a dozen entities competing. I mean, some of which were the obvious candidates that we reached out to and some that we didn't expect found us. And ultimately, not only because of my longstanding relationship with ESPN, but just, you know, to be on, you know, the worldwide leader um, just gives us the credibility and gives us, they have so many platforms. So they can put us on ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, ESPN+. Plus. Um, and, and so they committed to all the programming and all of it will be shown live, but then exist on ESPN plus so you can find it anytime or day and watch games over and over again. So it's a great partnership. Well, and for people who don't know about slam ball, so it's four on four, uh, you've got a spring loaded court, but then there's trampolines towards the basket. And I saw I mean, you had like a gymnastics coach working with the players so they can hit yeah. the trampoline just right. And then the other thing, Mike, two of the Guinness Book of Records holders for a vertical jumper in your league. So I'm watching these guys and their feet are like That's level a, with a, the yeah. top of the basket. I mean, it, yeah. it's unbelievable how high up in the air they are. It's crazy. Yeah, like, you know, when people say, well, why now? or what what happened and it just sort of organically grew during the pandemic without us doing a thing i mean we're waking up and seeing shares and likes and hashtag bring back slam ball got something like 200 million views and we didn't even see it we we didn't we didn't do anything except watch it grow and we just had to respond to the clamor as i like to say um so yeah it's um it just feels like the time is is right. You know, there, there are so many sports on TV now, some of which feel more like participation sports, frankly. Um, but I, but I think also the platforms, uh, are looking in the future and seeing the escalation of rights fees to these astronomical multi-billion dollar levels and to take a shot at a young sport, um, to be on the ground floor, to help us grow it, to help us introduce it to an audience to get to a place where, you know, in our view, um, there are eight teams, as you said, but they aren't geographically set yet. It's, it's all in one location in Vegas. People can, you know, go online and check the schedule if they're anywhere near Vegas or want to make a trip. It is spectacular family entertainment, but eventually we'd like to have spin out teams and have them based on, you know, certain cities or certain regions. And also to start putting, mini slam ball courts in backyards and in rec centers and in, you know, uh, in gyms. So you can have intramural com- uh, competition, which happened in China. It was, it was going great guns in China. And then COVID had the mixed blessing of kind of killing it on a live basis in China, but having people be more focused on their social media purpose and helping like, uh, helping generate all that social media outpouring. So, um, it's an exciting week for us. <laughs> well, best of luck. Thank you so much for joining me on Sports Through This Radio. I could literally talk to you for hours about the industry and movie making and documentary. But we'll do it again. We'll yeah, that, again. that would be great. But congratulations on the launch of Slam Ball. It starts on July 21st on ESPN. Mike Tolan, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Appreciate it. It's fun. Talent, hard work, focus, and determination got you here. Now take the right steps to prepare for your future and ensure that you stay at the top of your game, your business, your craft. Morgan Stanley Sports and Entertainment is a division of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management dedicated to serving the unique and sophisticated needs of elite and professional athletes, entertainers, executives, creators, and other top talent and professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. They deliver the education, strategies, and expertise you need to help advance your financial game plan at every stage of your career journey. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. 
Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash GSE. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to the Sports Business Radio team, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and from our friends at CG Sports, CG Young and Nicole Wardle. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.